very much. Uh, the songs tonight go very, very well with um, what we're going to look at. Turn to the book of Psalms. Somebody said one time, looks like splasms or something. But uh, turn to, to Psalms and uh, turn to the 60th, 6-0, okay, 60th Psalm. And we're going to read uh, a Psalm of David tonight, and we're going to talk about uh, some things that are uh, very relevant to what we were just singing, and um, especially when I think about prone to wander. You know, that's not W-O-N-D-E-R. That'd be a good thing. I wonder what God thinks. I wonder what the Word says. I wonder how I should react in that. That'd be a good thing. But the hymn writer said prone to W-A-N-D-E-R. And uh, we kind of have that, don't we? And uh, it's easy to stray. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy. Uh, some people just get mad at God. Have you ever known anybody like that? They're just mad at God, and they're not going to come to church. They're not going to serve Him. They're not going to give any money. They're not going to talk about Him. They're not going to sing to Him because they are mad at God. And uh, I just kind of look at that and go, like, God is in heaven going, Oh, no, what are we going to do now? You know, because that doesn't happen. Because uh, He's already factored that into His sovereign plan and everything like that. And, and that kind of gives me some comfort. Um, I told you... Not too long ago, about a chance I had to witness, and I didn't. You know what really helps me about the uh, knowing the truth about the sovereignty of God is God is not going to hang that guy's eternal destiny on my faithfulness or unfaithfulness. Whew, that makes me feel a little better. I mean, giving an account to God for that is one thing, but thinking that somebody might be in hell because I didn't witness to them, boy, I could I can't handle that. And so it's nice to know. That God has already factored in our obedience, our disobedience, our stupidity, our foolishness, our childishness, um, our anger, all of those kind of things already into that. And it doesn't derail him. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. But at the same time, that doesn't give us any um, comfort in saying, well, if God's going to do it anyway, then it doesn't really matter what I do, does it? Because you hurt yourself. You hurt yourself bad when you don't obey God. You hurt yourself in more ways than you can imagine. And um, maybe some of you have been through this kind of thing. But when you stray from the Lord, the longer you are kind of out of His will, the harder it is to get back into the flow of things. Uh, Papa Sam used to tell us, some of you will remember this, as far as you wander into the wilderness, it's that far back the path and so uh, why we would think that we could wander in the wilderness for 10 or 15 years and then get right with God and everything's going to be back the way it was no it's difficult you got to climb back through some forest and hills and deserts and rocks and you know God is so gracious though here's what my experience has been there are times though he shows me a shortcut and I don't have to go back completely through everything, but it does take a while to get back on the path. And then when I get back on the path, it's kind of like going back to the gym after you have quit going for a year. When you go back after a year's absence, do you pick right back up where you left off? Nah, you're probably going to have a little bit shorter time than the last time you went. And you're probably going to have to... Uh, you know, move the weights, you know, down a little bit and, 
You know, you're not going to just pick up. Now, you can get back there, but it's going to take you some time. And even in the Christian life and the Christian walk, I wonder how many times do people get frustrated with their walk because of just a lack of faithfulness, a lack of, of discipline. Paul said, exercise yourself rather unto godliness. And he used that word exercise. We could say uh, discipline yourself to godliness because it is a term. It's kind of like going to the gym. It's kind of like getting in shape. It's kind of like being on a good diet. It, it takes a long time to see the results that you want from it. But boy, it sure doesn't take very long to mess it all up and get back to where you were. And so that idea of disciplining yourself unto godliness is a daily, consistent walk with God. And as you know, that's more than just being at church every time the doors are open. Uh, that's certainly a good thing. But you've also got to have daily time with the Lord. And it's got to be more than just simply, I did that, now I'm done, now I'm moving on to real life or moving on to the fun stuff. It's got to be more than that. And you've got to not only read the Word, but you have to meditate. Psalm 1 talks about the meditation of the godly man and the fruit bearing that is in uh, his life because he is constantly nourishing himself uh, on the truth of the Word of God. And the idea there is constantly, constantly, constantly. That's why the tree is planted by the water. Even in the dry seasons, it's got the riverbed that it can draw moisture from and grow and bear fruit in its season. And I think probably the biggest problem you and I have uh, gathered here tonight, um, I'm, I'm sure there are probably some things that would go maybe above and beyond this because, you know, we're a gathering of sinners, aren't we? But... Um, I'm, I'm going to make a guess. The biggest problem in this room tonight is probably not heroin. I mean, it may be. And if that's your struggle and you're fighting against it, hey, I'm all for you and God bless you. <clears throat> but for most of us gathered here tonight, uh, I'm going to make a guess. Probably, you're not, uh, probably none of us in here are trying to uh, kick the habit of heroin. I don't think that's our big problem. Uh, it's, we're probably not a gathering of adulterers. Well, except maybe in our heart, as Jesus said. Um, but that's probably not our big issue. And so we can get up and we can preach against drugs and alcohol and everybody, amen. And it does that in here for us very little good. Not going to say no good, but very little good. And we could talk about, um, you know, how we ought to be faithful to our family and faithful to our mate. And we can all say, amen. But that's probably not really where... We are. Now, it could be. It could be. And uh, if it is, you know, I'm, I'm with you to fight for your family and all of that. But that's probably not the majority of us. I'm going to say this. I think this thing will hit every person in the room. I think our biggest problem is inconsistency. Inconsistency. We all struggle with that. And maybe that will help you with the kick in the heroin habit. In case you ever get one. And uh, maybe that will help you. <clears throat> with relationship issues. Just consistently walking with Jesus, consistently obeying Jesus, <clears throat> consistently applying biblical principles for life, consistently doing it. And um, I think some of us are kind of like, you know, maybe we talk to a farmer 
and he's not making any money. Well, man, what's happening here? You know, we see farmers all around you. They have acres and acres of wheat, and they're running cattle and that kind of thing. What's going on? Well, I tried that. Oh, really? Tell me about it. Yeah, back in 1943, I planted a wheat crop once, and it didn't come in. So I don't know. Those things just don't work for me. And you and I would be going, are you kidding me? And how long ago was that? You've got to do that. There are always bad years for a farmer, right? Sometimes there might be a fire that wipes out the wheat crop right before harvest. Sometimes there may be drought. Sometimes you may have a late freeze. When I was in Tuttle, um, I had a farmer, a wheat farmer, and he would meet with me every Sunday morning an hour before Sunday school, and we would go into our little prayer chapel in that church, and we'd spend some time praying. It was a, a really precious thing. He's with the Lord now. But I remember uh, anytime we'd walk in there, I'd say, man, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? And he'd say, yeah, but if we don't get some rain, boy, I'm going to be in trouble. The next time we'd meet, Boy, the Lord's been good to give us some rain. Yeah, but if this keeps up, all the wheat's going to rot in the field. He was never, never really happy because farmers experience a lot of ups and downs. You know, uh, One time, one of them came to me and they said, Man, I just lost $10,000 on my cattle. Okay, my brain means that you paid... $20,000 for them, and when you sold them, you only got 10. Ouch. You know what he meant by that? He sold, he paid $10,000 for his cattle. He sold them for 20, 25,000, and two weeks after he did, he could have gotten 30,000, so I lost $10,000. And I go, whoa, man, I wish we could all figure it like that, couldn't we? We're all broke, if that's the case, isn't it? Uh, my, uh, Relatives in northwest Arkansas had the opportunity to buy Walmart stock when it was $1 a share. You think they kick themselves now <clears throat> for any of that? And so, uh, you know, if you figure life like that as to what might have happened or could have happened, then we all can come up losers. And that makes you to where you're not quite as happy with what you have because you're always looking at the negative or looking at what you don't have or what you could have had or what should have happened and all of that. And that's no way to live life. No way to live life. But the problem is just being consistent. Consistent. I've known people that have uh, invested for their retirement in mutual funds and sometimes the stock market goes way up. Sometimes it goes way down like in 2008. But the interesting thing is people who stay in it like one guy said, the only person that gets hurt on a roller coaster is the one who jumps off. You stay with it, and over time, what happens? Consistently investing, being patient, riding the roller coaster and all of that, it generally pays off because the market will tend to go up. It'll tend to correct. It'll tend to go up and all of those kind of things. And the key, if you talk to millionaires and multimillionaires, is consistency in all of that. It doesn't necessarily have to be a lot. It just has to be consistent. You think about people who are real health buffs, and uh, they will tell you <clears throat> the key is not just eating um, Big Mac one day, Quarter Pounder the next day, uh, KFC the next day, pizza the next day, and then on Saturday you add three carrot sticks. Boy, that takes care of all of it, right? you got to turn those things around and you've got to be consistent. And I think about um, the old song that says, our, Oh God, our help in ages past. 
Okay? Well, we can read the Bible and see that. And most of us in here have a testimony about a time when we were in a desperate situation and God came through. Man, wonderful thing. Can I get an amen on that? But the next line in that song says, Our hope for years to come. And I've noticed that some people who have God, that God has helped them so much in the past, and now they run into difficulty and they don't really see any future. They don't see any good. They don't see the work of the Lord. They don't have the joy of the Lord. And they're scared to death that it's not going to work out this time for us. There's got to be consistency. Not only a hope in the God of the past, but a hope in the God of the present. <clears throat> and also a hope in the God for the future. Uh, we all have a future. And we want God, His blessing and uh, His grace on our lives as we do that. And we've got to just consistently walk with him. Now we're going to see in this psalm that we read tonight. After we read it I'm going to tell you the background of it. Some of it you'll kind of be able to surmise. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 1. Man this stuff's getting aggravating. <laughs> Maybe that'll help. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 1. O oh God, you have cast us off. Well, this is not starting well, is it? You have broken us down, and you have been displeased. O oh, restore us again. And I think every one of us could say amen to that. Because to some degree or another, we've probably been where the first verse is taking us. Verse 2, it says, You have made the earth tremble. It's like an earthquake. And you have broken it. It came apart and things fell down and fell apart. Heal its breaches, for it is shaking. It's unstable. Verse 3. You have shown your people hard things, and you have made us drink the wine of confusion. Some translations say you have given us wine that makes us stagger. Things aren't clear. We're not walking straight and all of that. Verse 4. You have given a banner to those who fear you that it may be displayed because of the truth. And then he says, Selah. So think about that. Hard times, rough times, a shaking world, a confused mind like a drunk man. And yet in the midst of all of this, there is a banner. You say, what is a, what is a banner? We'll talk about that a little bit later. But think about the star-spangled banner. Not give you a little bit of insight there. Now, after we have done our little Selah and thought about that, because that's kind of a metaphor for life, isn't it? Verse 5, it says, That your beloved may be delivered. So God has put up a banner of truth, and He's done this in the midst of a tough situation for the purpose that those that He loves may be delivered. Okay, that ought to give you a little spark of hope. This is not going to be a depressing psalm. Now, he goes on to say, Save with your right hand, that's the hand of power, and hear me. God has spoken in his holiness, and he always does. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also <clears throat> is the helmet for my head, and Judah is my lawgiver. Some 
translations, I think they say that it's the scepter. Uh, Moab is my wash pot. That doesn't sound flattering. And over Edom, I will cast my shoe. Philistia, uh, about in, uh, shout in triumph because of me. And who will bring me to the strong city? And who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go uh, out with our enemies? Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Okay, what's going on here? What about all those names and wash pots and Edom and Shechem and all of those kind of things? What in the world is going on here? The banner stuff and all of that. Well, this is all, this is kind of a military uh, type psalm. This is a psalm that talks about war. Now, the bad thing is, David and his armies had gone up into the northern parts to fight their enemies. And while they did that, Edom, remember they're the descendants of Esau, their enemies, they came in while David and his armies are in the north, they come in and invade the south. And Israel has had a shocking, unexpected, devastating defeat in this situation. And David is writing this psalm after he has been whipped, after his nation has been whipped, and they're wondering, what in the world has happened? Now, um, one uh, writer said the historical background identified in the sub, uh, superscription as a time when David fought in the north against um, Aram, Naharim, uh, Mesopotamia, and Aram, uh, Zobah, which is between Damascus and the upper Euphrates, when another nation, Edom, invaded the southern part of Judah and brought defeat to Israel. Okay? I quote that so you'll know I know what I'm talking about when I say that. This is like... Um, okay, just recently we uh, killed that Iranian general. A terrorist. Okay, who's responsible for all kinds of things. I heard on the radio today his favorite way of executing people he did not like was to take a power drill and to drill into somebody's skull until they were dead and watch it. I mean, that's Hitler-type stuff. He's an evil, evil man. And uh, I've noticed something really strange. Some of the people that have been talking and, oh, we shouldn't have done this, and oh, that was nothing but an assassination and all of that, are all pro-abortion people. I don't understand that. Because okay? this guy, in my estimation, was worthy of death. And now he's facing true judgment, isn't he? And um, I, I think about that. And I was thinking about, then last night, they started talking about you know, breaking news. Iran is shooting missiles at some of our bases in the Middle East. Now, we uh, found out this morning after everything was, you know, said and done and, you know, figured out no casualties. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. But one of the things I heard was Iran knows that if they get into a war with the United States, 
they will be overwhelmed with power and they will be crushed. And when I heard that, I said, yeah, prob probably so. And on paper, that's the way it looks. But have you ever seen a football game where on paper one team should have won and they end up losing? Have you ever heard of an army that was superior being defeated? 1776, Great Britain? You know, those kind of things. And I thought about how easy it is for a nation, and, and, and I think that maybe that's what happened with Israel. We've got such good generals, good leaders, good equipment, well-trained armies. Well, we'll just go up here and we'll whip these guys and that won't be any problem. And something unexpected happened that kind of put a stick in the spokes of the bicycle. Things happen like that. And that's why the Bible counsels us, woe to them who trust in horses and chariots. We might say nuclear weapons, tanks, and aircraft. Because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what the future might hold. You never really know for sure. And I think this is one of those things where Israel went into battle, kind of like the Soviet Union went into Afghanistan back in the 80s, and uh, they, they just had to leave. They, they couldn't win, and they don't really care about rules of engagement or anything like that. Uh, and they couldn't win, and we've been over there for a long time, and boy, it's kind of looking like just, just give it back to them because they're not going to really do anything with democracy or anything anyway. And I think now the trend is kind of, maybe we shouldn't be in the business of nation building to begin with, you know, all of that, whatever you think about that. But it seems to be that's the way the pendulum is swinging now, and that we can't be the world's policemen and all of that. And think about all of the, I think I heard today on the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, that we spent like $7 trillion or something like that. And... Um, Amazing, amazing. And we thought Vietnam was long. Some of you are old enough to remember Vietnam seemed to go on forever. Are we ever going to get out of this and the protest and all of that? Well, we've been in Iraq and Afghanistan longer than we were in Vietnam. And uh, this is the kind of thing that sometimes, and this is what part of what led to the fall of the Soviet Union. Remember how terrified the world was of them? Afghanistan drained their resources and they weren't winning, and they were putting money into it, and then having to keep up with the arms race under Reagan, and their economy collapsed, and then everything kind of fell apart. Well, I think we've got a lot of tanks and a lot of aircraft and a lot of nuclear weapons. We're the lone superpower in the world, but we're like $22 trillion in debt. I mean, when does payday come on all of that? And so far, we've kind of been able to sustain it but I've known a lot of people who thought, well, I can handle this. It's no problem. And then one thing happens, and they can't handle things anymore. And, folks, that happens to nations as well as it does to people because nations are groups of people. Now, if Israel went into this war, and maybe they didn't really pray about it. Maybe they really didn't invoke God's blessing. You remember how many times... Uh, in your Old Testament readings, they would offer sacrifices. They would have a solemn assembly. They would have the Ark of the Covenant. They would have the priests and all of that. And then there are other times when they just sort of said, oh, we got this. We're okay. And I think about when uh, Joshua fought Jericho 
And the walls came tumbling down, as we know, right? And, uh, whoo, this is a piece of cake. And then they went to this other little bitty town spelled A-I. I mean, they couldn't even, it's such a small town, they didn't even have three letters. And I've heard it all my life called A-I. In Hebrew, it's actually Chai. And, um, you know, but I'll call it A-I so it doesn't sound weird. And what happened when they went there? Piece of cake. They didn't even send their whole army. And because of Achan's secret sin, they got whipped. And they didn't expect to be whipped. What in the world has happened? Okay? That's been Israel's problem all over. About the time they are desperate and they seek God, they get delivered. And then once they're delivered, they kind of go, oh, okay, we can handle it now. And then they get in trouble. I think our own country could learn some lessons from that as well. I think Christian people in America, we better not put our hope in the government and in our military and all of that. We need the blessing of God and we don't deserve the blessing of God. So we better ask for the grace of God because grace is always undeserved. And so far, God's been gracious to us. And so uh, this is the situation. So David, as the king, and more importantly than that, as just a child of God who has his fingerprints on everything that has happened, he's thinking here, our strategy was good. How did we get whipped like this? Why would God allow this kind of thing? And you know what his... Uh, summation of it was, if you go back and look at verse 1, Oh God, you have cast us off. We've been rejected. And um, I thought about that, and I go, well, David, you know, I could take you to some passages of Scripture that would change that. And then I thought, yeah, David didn't have that yet. The Bible wasn't completed yet. And David is knowing the covenant of God that he has with Israel, but now it looks like God is just going, well, I'm sick of you guys and I'm going to go make another deal with somebody else. You've cast us off. Do you get the idea that as David is saying this, he's not like some of us. I have uh, heard people in our own church that will talk about someone and who used to be faithful. Now they're not serving the Lord. And then they'll make this statement. Well, they're probably not even saved anyway. Okay. Now, first of all, who are you to judge their hearts? And secondly, why doesn't that break your heart to say that about somebody? Because what you're really saying is horrible, isn't it? Ought to break your heart. Ought to be said through tears, compassion, concern, not a, ah, oh, they're probably not saved anyway. Like it doesn't matter. Like their eternal soul doesn't matter. Like hell is not really real. Like salvation and lostness are not real issues. I mean, we kind of play that off like it's, ah, oh, they're just lost. Ah, oh, they're just lost. And uh, that ought to make us stop and ponder that for a little bit. I think sometimes when we think about the judgment of God, I bet every person in the room has thought at least, and maybe even said, America is really close to the judgment of God. When you read Romans chapter 1, it looks like we're really close. But I don't see very many people weep over that. I don't see very many people hitting the altars over that. I don't see very many people all that concerned about it. They just kind of throw it out there like, look how much I know and how righteous I am and all of that like it's no big deal. I want you to stop and think. What does the judgment of God mean to a nation and to individuals like you 
and like me in a nation that collapses under the righteous judgment of God. That's a horrible thing to think about. And you think about the fall of nations that have taken place in recent times. And you think about along with that, there's the collapse of an economy. There's a lack of jobs. There's a lack of food. There's a lack of housing. All kinds of things that come on like that. And we take it for granted because, well, the judgment of God may come, but my life's going to continue like it always has been. I sincerely doubt that. It's going to affect you in ways where you're going to cry out to God like David did. What in the world happened? And yet you know just like David knew. David is saying this. You have rejected us or cast us off knowing full well that God doesn't do anything just nilly-willy. There's a reason for it. And I think Israel got too big for their britches. They thought that in this particular case, there's no big deal for, you know, do we really need to have a solemn assembly and have a 30-day fast? And, you know, those things are pretty tough. (coughs) Let's just go take care of it. We don't really need it. And sometimes we have those things in our own life where we are desperate before God. We cry out to Him. We're serious about Him. And then after a while we go, well, I've got experience. I know how to handle this now. It's no big deal. No big deal. And I think that's kind of what happened here. And David is getting a dose. And so is Israel getting a dose of God is a bigger deal than you think he is in the everyday lives of his people and of the nations that they inhabit. I think we don't really realize how desperately we need God. And we're the best that the nations got in terms of that. You and I know God. You and I love God. You and I know His Word. We know that the pagans out there are not going to give God you know, much more than a tip of the hat. You and I know it, and we're not weeping, and we're not seeking God desperately. I mean, if we're the hope of the nation, God in us and in His people, then America's in trouble. What is it going to take to get our attention? Much less theirs. We always talk about, what will it take to get the attention of Congress or the president? No, I'm, I'm not worried about that. You know what I'm worried about? He hadn't gotten our attention. Because we're not all that desperate. And we're not all that uh, consistent about seeking God. Amen or oh me. I mean, that's where we are. And so David is looking at this. And finally, God has his attention. And so, what do you do when you've gotten away from God? What do you do when you've been defeated by the enemy? What do you do when you look at all of this and you go, there's nobody to blame here but me and us? What do you do after that? Let me give you some things to think about. Number one, go to the one who has a purpose in everything that he does. Go to the one. You know, I find, uh, and this is astounding to me, people will go through a financial reversal They'll go through sickness. They'll go through something like that. And they'll go, oh, this just makes me mad. Look at this. You serve God and this is what you get out of it. And you know what they do then? You've seen people do this. They quit coming to church. Quit giving money. They quit serving God as if they're going to hold God hostage. And I just want to say, first of all, if you can do that, 
and stay in that and be happy in that. And I've even had some people tell me, well, I'm actually happier now. I disobeyed God, but I'm actually happier now. I'm worried that that person may actually not be saved. You know, whom the Lord loves, he dis- loves he disciplines, right? And um, when I see people that can kind of stay in that and just, I'm just not in the habit of being in church or not in the habit of doing all of that. What, what's wrong? Was that all, all it was? Was just a habit? Or was it a relationship? Yeah, I just got out of the habit of feeding my family. You know, seriously? I just got out of the habit of putting gas in my car. Got out of the habit of changing my oil. Got out of the habit of, you know, and you could, I mean, come on. And we look at that and we see people like that and we really should be concerned for their soul. And we ought to weep for them because something's wrong. Because what I'm going to say to you is, even when you're disappointed with God, even when life has not gone the way you want it to go, and you've just been defeated here, I'm going to just make this statement to you and ask you to really consider it and ponder it whenever that time comes. Where else are you going to turn? You can't handle it, or you wouldn't have been defeated in the first place, right? You can't handle it. The devil's not going to give you anything. Because he comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. And so when uh, the devil hands you an apple, and you think, oh, and I don't know if he's got an apple or not, but uh, let's just go with me, okay? And it's a caramel apple. Oh, son. Yeah, on a stick, fresh caramel, chopped up peanuts all over it. Man, you with me? Makes me think of the fair and all of that. I remember the first time I ate cotton candy, I was so disappointed. I took a big bite out of it. What is this? But caramel apples, okay? And sometimes the devil will hand you a caramel apple, and in your flesh you'll go, you know, he's not so bad. God never gave me a caramel apple. He just gave me stuff like life, salvation, and all that. But caramel apple, you know. And this is a good deal. And you take it and you start eating it. What is really happening there? He's not giving. He's taking. He's not selling. He's buying. He's purchasing. He's, he's trying to get a stronghold in your life. And we don't really understand that. And because nothing bad happened, and I wonder if Adam and Eve thought this, they took a bite and they go, I don't really know what dying is, but I don't think I did it. Well, yeah, they did. It wasn't a physical death. It wasn't a soulish death. It was a spiritual death. And they didn't fully understand that until here comes the Lord to walk in the cool of the day and all of a sudden for the first time they are terrified. And they run and they hide. Remember that? They'd never done that before. That wasn't in their DNA until the DNA was corrupted by their disobedience, right? And God seeks them out and then they feel the weight of the curse And they have to live under the curse. And the environment is cursed. The universe is cursed. All because Adam and Eve, you know, sinned. And they were tempted. And they thought they were getting a good deal. And that's what always happens with us. We think that there's going to be a better deal somewhere than what God has. And I just want to tell you with a little bit of a broken heart, with concern that I have for some people who have actually told me, I just can't handle grace way or the things of God right now taking a break there ain't no better deal there's no better offer 
There's nothing else you're going to get out there from yourself or from the enemy or from this world. And I just want to implore you, when life turns sour, when things go bad, there's only one place to go where there is any hope at all, and that is to run to the Lord. And that's why David writes this. Because his first instinct is something has gone horribly wrong and God doesn't do things for no purpose. So I better find out what happened, what went wrong, and how to get things right with God because that's the only hope that I've got. And I'll just say that's the only hope you've got to. Run to the one who does everything for a purpose. So if God has cast you off, if God has broken you down... If God has been displeased with you, then you need to do what David did and cry out, Oh, restore us again, because that's the only hope you've got. And God is good, and God is a restoring God, and thank the Lord that He is. Number two, go to the one who cares when His people stray. Why does God get involved? Why is there discipline? Why are there defeats? Why does God allow those kind of things to happen? Simply because of this, because He cares. Because He cares. I drove past... um, a deal the other day where there was a wreck and I drove by and I gave it a glance and I went on by. I didn't hit the brakes. I didn't panic. I didn't get on my phone. I didn't park my car and go running up and say, what's going to happen? Because yeah, it looked like a fender bender and I didn't know the people anyway. So, you know, they'll be okay. That's different than when you see somebody that you know. Am I right? If you're driving down the road and your 16-year-old son's car is over in the ditch and there are cops all around it, and there's an ambulance and all of that, you're probably going to go, well, the boy's got to learn. You don't do that, do you? Because you care. There are tons of people who died today. Tons of people who died. And yet tonight, I'm not a basket case. You know why? Because nobody I knew did. And you hate to say you don't care, because that sounds really rude and, and bad and all of that, And deep down, I kind of do care, but I don't care that much. But if it were my wife, you better believe I'd care. If it were my kids or one of my grandkids, how different would it be? Now, here's the thing that I'm using to illustrate on all of that, because that's that's the way we live. And in fact, that's kind of the way we have to live, because if you got depressed every time you saw something in the obituary column, you wouldn't be able to function. So God's kind of made it like that. So don't, don't... Judge me and don't be too, guilt, too hard on yourself and all of that. Um, but here's the thing. God is not a God who can see you stray and go, eh, one out of a hundred. Remember the parable? What does the good shepherd do? He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Why? He cares when you mess up. He cares when you sin. And sometimes the way he gets your attention When you are living life like he doesn't matter, when you're living life like it doesn't really matter what you do or what you don't do, God's gracious, he's sovereign, whatever, and you just live your life, God sometimes just goes, let's pull up the hedge a little bit and let the enemy come in like a flood. My father-in-law told me a story one time when he was in junior high. He was a quarterback, and he said, I was the fastest guy on the team, and that was the best thing that they had. And he said, and I got a little too big for my britches. He said, you know what the coach did? And I said, no, sir, what did he do? He said, he went up to the line and said, quit blocking for him. 
And he said, when I got the ball and I'm getting ready to throw and all of a sudden the other team is coming in there knocking me on my rear end. He said, I got the message in a hurry. We're a part of a team and I better not get too big for my britches. You know, there's a spiritual truth in that. When you get to the point to where you're not broken before God, when you're not dependent upon God, when you kind of think, I've got this, and, and you almost feel like, you know, uh, I'm doing God a favor. Yeah? After all I've done for him, because that's what everybody says. I can't believe this happened to me. I was a tither. I can't believe this happened to me. I went to church all the time. Can't believe this happened to me. That means you think you were doing God a favor. That's pride. And God abhors pride. And sometimes he just kind of tells the line to quit blocking for you. And you get knocked down. And you get hurt. And what is happening here? Well, we have a God that we saw in number one. He does everything for a purpose. So if God does something, even something that's hurtful, you better find out why he did it. Because he didn't just do it nilly-willy. And it wasn't that something snuck up on him. There was a reason for it. And it also means that if we look at this second point, go to the one who cares when people stray because the reason he let you get hit is because he wants to make you a better quarterback. He wants you to appreciate other people that are around you. He wants you to live for his glory and independence upon him because he really cares when you go astray. And this, in this situation with Israel, where they didn't think they needed him anymore, God said, they're hurting themselves and I care too much to let them just continue on down that path. God knows how to correct his children. Okay? And so he did it here through, uh, David describes in verse 2, an earthquake. And he talks about, you know, the big fractures and the cracks that are in there in the land. He asked for God to uh, heal all of it. And he said, we're shaking, we're unstable. And you have shown your people hard things. You're making them face the hard things, looking in the mirror. And he said, and the wine is not something that is sweet and good and pleasant. This is the wine that is making us to where we can't think. Nothing's right. Why did God do all of that? So they would realize just how helpless and how fragile they are. And so that they would turn to him. Number three, go to the one who identifies where you should be. Now David said, in the midst of all of this, you put up a banner of truth. Banner of Truth. In those days, they would do, uh, you know, even our flag is called the Star Spangled Banner. It was a banner that would show where the military headquarters was. It was a banner that showed where the troops were supposed to rally. And that would be really important when you're getting beat or when you are confused or when you're not sure what the orders are and uh, things aren't going the way they do. They would put up the banner and the banner would mean when they saw that, the troops were to head over to that place. A lot of times it was in a fortress. A lot of times it was in a, a safer place where they could kind of regather, huddle up, and you know, uh, send the troops back out. And what God has said here in this section of verses is that you have given a banner to those who fear you. You know, there are those times when you see in the movies... They're fighting a war. They're not sure what's going to happen. And then they see the flag. Or even think about the Star Spangled Banner story. Francis Scott Key is uh, you know, on that British warship during the battle at Fort McHenry. And uh, what is he doing? He's looking through the smoke and through the darkness. In the glare of the bombs and the rockets, is the flag still flying? Because if that flag is still up there, the American flag, we're okay. If the British flag is up there, it means we've been whipped. 
So he's looking for the banner. David said, even in the midst of all of this, when we're defeated and we don't know what to do and we're not sure what the cause was, you are so good that you put up a banner and he calls it a banner of truth, doesn't he? A banner of truth. That's where we run. That's where we go. That's where we find the answers. That's where we find the strategy. That's where we find what we're supposed to be. And that banner calls us back out of our confusion, out of our wandering, out of our defeat. And it calls us back to a place of healing, a place of hope, a place of deliverance. And he says in there that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand, that powerful hand that you have, and hear me. And so David is telling us here, go to the one who identifies where you should be. The devil's going to lead you astray. The world's going to lead you astray. Your flesh is going to lead you astray. Your instincts are going to be all wrong. But his banner will always call you back to the truth. And then number four, go to the one who is never defeated. And the Lord starts... Talking here, verse 6 says, God has spoken, and so this is the Lord. You see it in quotes. I will rejoice, and I will divide Shechem, and measure out the valley of Succoth, and Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim is uh, the helmet for my head, and Judah is the lawgiver, and Moab. See, some of these are good places and good people, and some of these are bad places and bad people. And God says it really doesn't matter because I'm sovereign over all of it and I own all of it. It doesn't really matter what Moab thinks. Moab, you're a wash pot. I wash my feet in you. In other words, you think you're so mighty and so proud, you're nothing. You know, to another one down in here, you have to think about Middle Eastern people. They don't like feet. And they don't like shoes or anything. Do you remember when Saddam Hussein uh, was captured and then all of those statues came down? And what were those people doing? Hitting the statue with their sandals. That's the biggest insult you can give over in that part of the world. Well, in true form, uh, basically the Lord says, I'm going to throw my sandal at you. That's all you are. And when we look around at the world and we look and see all of the power and we see the terror and we see the arrogance and we see wealth and we see poverty and we see all of those kind of things, we need to realize that whoever it is, including us, the Lord owns it all and he's sovereign over it all. And there are some nations that God says, I'm going to raise you up. You'll be like a helmet or like a crown most literally, uh, the helmet of the king showing royalty. And you will be like a scepter, and my authority will be with you. And others go, what about us? I wash my feet in you. Throw a shoe at you. Why is that important? Because what that is saying to David and through David is, we need to trust in the one who has already won the victory. The one who doesn't get defeated. The one who doesn't get confused. The one who doesn't go fight up north and then get attacked in the south and go, where'd that come from? That never, ever, ever, ever happens to God. And even though we may say certain things every once in a while, boy, that was a great victory. That was just an expression of what God already has and already is. And even the setbacks, a sovereign God knows about that and it doesn't change his victory one iota, and he knows exactly what's going to go up and what's going to come down, what's going to last and what's going to be done away with, what is going to be powerful, what's going to be useless. He even uses that word in there. And David said, through God, we will 
do valiantly. Now notice those two words, through God we will do valiantly. Before they thought they could because of who they were, now he's got it. Through God. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Uh, Israel has already found out what they could do and it wasn't good. Israel found out, we can handle this. And God said, go ahead. Look what happened. David now is coming back to God saying, through God we'll trample down our enemies. Boy, that's a good thing. Our, our coins say, in God we trust. The question is, do we? Do we? And when you and I get into personal battles, we say Jesus is Lord every Sunday morning. Is he? The way you react is going to tell what you really think, whether that was just a word or whether that's what you really believe, because your belief and your behavior go together. So think about these verses and we'll be done. Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends uh, forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Hey, I'm telling you, ruling in the midst of your enemies, now that's the definition of victory. Ruling in the midst of your enemies. I don't care what all you say, what all you do. I'm still in charge, the Lord says. And he's the one that calls the shots. That's an amazing and wonderful thing. And you and I can have that victory because 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always, always leads us in a triumphal procession and through us, through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now that's victory. That's triumph. And he always leads that. I don't want to go through that valley. It looks like a valley of defeat. Don't do that. The Lord knows what he's doing. Follow him. Even if it looks like a dark valley, it's the road and the pathway to victory because he always, Paul said, leads us in triumph. It's a good word. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. You know these, and I love these words. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I'm sure, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. I believe that covers it. Right? He leave anything out? No, that means even what you're going through will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Somebody say hallelujah for that. Boy, that's good. That's good. So, David told us what to do. You ever been whipped? I have. You ever taken matters in your own hands and found out you couldn't do it? I have. You ever been humiliated? I have. You ever been embarrassed? I have. You ever been in bondage? I have. So what do you do when you do that? Just give up, throw up your hands, let the enemy have his way. You quit on God, you back away, you want to show you. Yeah, you do that, you're only doing it to your own detriment, aren't you? So do what David did and run to the Lord. Because if he's allowed you to go through that, it may have been your fault. But God could have prevented it. But he didn't. Why? Because there's something for you to learn in all of that. And you learn by learning the purpose of God. You see, there's a difference between the two-year-old who just says, why don't you do that? Because I'll get a spanking. There's a difference between the 10-year-old who says, when you say, why don't you do that? Because I'll get my arm burned off. 
See, a 10-year-old might understand a little more than the 2-year-old does. The 2-year-old does it just because they don't want to get in trouble. The 10-year-old recognizes, hey, there's a safety issue here. There are times when the 10-year-old might say, why can't I drive the car? Right? And uh, we understand there's a bigger reason. He may just think people don't like him and the world's unfair and I can drive as well as anybody else. Ha, ha, ha. Right? why we don't send five-year-olds we don't give them guns with real bullets do we i mean you got to learn and you got to grow and so david is encouraging us here to say this yeah you're going to get whipped yeah you're going to mess up yeah things are going to happen find out why and when you find out why you're going to find out that what god did made sense and it was a good thing and you learn from it and when you start learning the why, and you start learning that God has a purpose in everything that he does, everything else we've talked about falls into line, and that will keep you in line, which is exactly where you need to be, because God is leading you in a triumphal procession, whatever it is you're going through, because he's already won the victory, and nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So does that help you? hope it encourages you a little bit. And so uh, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we think tonight about ourselves. We think about people we've known in the past. We think about people that we know presently and certainly people we're going to know in the future who kind of think that if you don't do things their way and behave the way that they want, that they'll just show you and take their ball and go home. Would you please show our friends, neighbors, our brothers and sisters... Tonight, they don't even have a ball to take home and they don't have a home to go to. Let them see tonight. Do something, please, in their life. Do it tonight that will show them how much they need you. So easy to sing, I need thee every hour. But do we really believe that? Do we really think that? And so uh, I pray for people like that. I also want to pray for sick people. We've got a lot of people... I heard that Alana Wallace has uh, pneumonia. And um, Lisa Anderson, her son, who is incarcerated, has that infection in his spine. And then uh, Mary was asking me to pray for Cherry. He's having some trouble. And also to pray for her son. I was talking to Michael Williams, and I'm thankful that his eye is doing better. But we're asking for complete healing and all of that. And uh, we could go on and on and on, couldn't we? Some of us, we're in need of prayer tonight. Because we need healing emotionally. We need hearing, healing spiritually. Uh, all kinds of things. And only you can do it. We've got some battles that have just taken us out of the game sometimes. And we realize you're trying to teach us not to depend upon ourselves. Even as mature as we may be, we're still undependable. So we come to you tonight asking you to restore us. Restore our church. Restore our nation. Restore our families. Restore our health. Restore us monetarily. Whatever it is that we might need, that's what we pray for tonight. And help us, Lord, as we do this, to be compassionate toward other people, caring about other people because you're such a caring God. And thank you that even the discipline you show and that you give when we mess up is not because you're angry and you want to punish us. It's because you care. It's because you love. And you get involved in our lives as severely as you need to get involved. And to help us to be more responsive and more pliable so we don't have to get to that point. But thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.